0: Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of The Remnant Podcast, brought to you by The Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Uh, Go to thedispatch.com to find out who really killed JR. Um, Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Donors Trust and by Bound by Oath. More about those guys in a little bit. Um... So recently, we had uh, Kevin Williamson on, who's an old friend and former colleague of mine. And uh, his first question when uh, he came on was, so who canceled on you? And (laughs) that person was none other than my friend and colleague from AEI, James Pethakukis, who we have finally gotten back. Uh, And he is – what is your title, Jim.
1: Oh, uh, I think I'm a I'm a Dewitt Wallace fellow. I think that's the official uh, that's the official title. Um, I, okay. I, I, you, I just of I economic mean, stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I mostly focus on writing about uh, economics. Um, occasionally a few other things, but about ninety nine percent that.
0: And um, we both came as at least as grown ups because I was there in a larval stage in the '90s, but uh, came to AI around the same time, about a decade ago. And um you know, uh who was the better choice to come back to uh you know historians will debate that for years to come. But um so you write about economics a lot and talk about economics a lot. And so this just must be a fantastic time for you. So interesting, so much fun. Uh what's your what's oh, wor- your take yeah, on yeah, where the, we the are?
1: Worst, uh, the worst I love plunging markets, expanding unemployment roles, we get to rethink maybe our, you know, some of our previous assumptions. Uh, I'm actually fairly terrified. Um, And uh, I'm more of a, I'm kind of a economic expansion, bull market kind of person. That's what I really feel like. uh, That's where I really feel like I'm at my best. Um, So Mm -hmm. I would certainly much, uh, much prefer that that be the case. Um, Unfortunately, now that, you know, twice now in the past decade, We've had these, you know, absolutely sort of catastrophic uh, economic declines for ve- for very different reasons. Uh, especially that coming after such a a long period, you know, this long boom from the early mm-hmm. '80s to 2007, when, you know, boy, th- you, you kind of hope that you, we had we had sort of figured it all out and this was going to last forever. Indeed, there are countries where they've had extraordinarily long booms. Uh, uh, Australia, I think, had almost a 30 year expansion ending. I think, yesterday because of uh, the virus. So, yeah, so that's, you know, that was that's most of my career has been spent uh, at, a, at a time of, you know, robust growth, expanding jobs. And I much prefer to be writing about that. But that's here, here. Here's where we are. Yeah.
0: Just just so you know, I was attempting some gallows humor when I said this must be a great time for you, because I know
1: because you, it's a one two punch. I, I, know, you, I right? know you're not a monster, Jim, who, who embraces <laughs> the darkest impulses of mankind. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> because I,
0: I remember I think my last lunch at AI before they closed that place down, uh, I went around the table and asked we have this scholars table where we eat and um, you know the interns bring it all in on their backs it's, it's great uh, um, and I went around the table and I was asking people zero to 10 how worried are you about the coronavirus and before you could even answer Michael strain said oh he's like 15 don't ask him. Um and this was back when it didn't seem like we were going to be hitting this stuff. Um so big picture. Uh like do you think let's say that the, the more rosy scenarios turn out to be right, and there is some semblance of returning to normalcy in the next, say, three weeks to a month, um, which will have a longer tail, not politically, but economically the financial crisis or this thing
1: uh well no, i think i think th- i think this thing because i think it's uh one just i think it's absolutely worse the response has been much much bigger when you consider the amount of sort of time we you know we spent debating like the obama stimulus package and then sort of debating what was the impact of the obama stimulus package and, you know, we're like thinking about, it. Uh, you know, if, if that was like $800 billion, so we're at like sort of three Obama stimulus package units like right now, uh, we may end right. up at six Obama stimulus packages before it's over and maybe a few more. So just like on that point alone, like we're, so we're spending more and everybody's spending more and the Fed is doing more. So that response in itself, uh, I think, makes this a much more significant event. Now, you know, beyond this, Uh, you know, what, you know, how does this change the economy? I mean, I'm sort of skeptical of the idea that we're all going to live in the exurbs and no one's, you know, it seems like we've been sort of moving towards cities um, for about 5,000 years and that we're no longer going to go to restaurants. I think we've been going to restaurants for quite some time. Uh, and that, you know, we're not going to go to sporting events. I mean, I think those kinds of changes. Uh, I, I, I think that those will not be durable changes. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, it may very well depend on how, whether we decide to become a country that can react very quickly to these kinds of things. Uh, so far, I don't think we have, we've, we've really demonstrated that. Uh, and, I, and I think, listen, it's, for a lot, listen, for a lot of people, for the whole generation of people uh, who, who, have, who have lost jobs when they thought that you know, that was not going to be possible, people who have uh, you know, had to stop their educations in a way that's never before happened in the United States. I mean, that I'm not sure of all the sort of the psychological and sort of risk aversion impacts that but that's that's sort of my big my, one of my bigger concerns that will become this more kind of risk averse society that will just you know we won't want to spend or yeah. save businesses won't out events won't want to invest um so that that's and that's I mean that's would be a very long bad long-term change uh certainly for the United States well, when,
0: when you say people won't want to when you say people won't want to spend or
1: save what else do you do uh, if I you don't do one this, of those yeah, typical... so I misspoke. what I meant is that you, you will, that people will save want to just save a lot and they won't want to spend, they won't want to take risks, yeah. they won't want to start companies, businesses because of the uncertainty, uh, you know, won't want to win, won't want to invest in sort of longer term riskier projects, uh, that because of the bigger debts and deficits that our focus will immediately turn on, uh, turn to what, what, what can we cut? No, we don't have, we don't have money to spend on infrastructure. We don't have money to spend on greater science investment. So it's, it's that kind of stuff, which I think, uh, could really um, sort of reshape, you know, what the economy looks like going forward. And those are some of my big, uh, big concerns that we become a a I already have big concerns that we have not been sort of a enough of a forward looking sort of future oriented society. Uh, and that's only sort of you know doubled and tripled the case over the past few years where we've had sort of this e- bout of economic nostalgia. You know, boy, you know, everything's been bad since the 1960s and everything we've done, done has been a mistake since the 1960s and 50s. And can't we go back? I'm worried about that kind of thing even more so that we just will not be um, uh, – we'll be less likely to take big risks and tackle big problems. So obviously, there's a lot of things we should be tackling.
0: So um, on the more – I mean, I, I, I'm with you with those concerns, um, but on the more concrete side, um, you know, there's this thing that I've been obsessing about. We don't need to dwell on it too much. Um, but when the president says he'll reopen the economy, forget the fact that this is a constitutionally problematic contention, um, whether you think it's the president or governors who reopen the economy, you know, the the consumers and the workers get a vote and the businesses get a vote too, right? And if you don't kill the virus, if you don't make it, if you don't convince people that it's safe to do this, um, both in terms of just public health, but also in terms of, um, you know, litigiousness and liability stuff, people aren't going to go back to work. People aren't going to go back to restaurants unless you actually
1: fix this. I I think, I mean, I think over the short, I think over the short term, you know, uh, businesses have a say in how, you know, they're not going to want open businesses that are closed and then have, you know, obviously have somebody sue them. You didn't do it in a safe enough manner. Uh, I just saw a poll saying 75% of people would not go to a major sporting event. Uh, right. and I th- and, and, and from that perspective it, I don't think it matters you know what the president says uh, or even what the governor said people aren't gonna do things I mean I you know would I would I feel really great about getting you know I'm in uh, you know I'd live you know in the suburbs of Washington DC would I get on the metro to go into AI uh I don't know uh, maybe if it was like 6 a.m and there was nobody on I might think about it otherwise you know I'm not gonna do that because uh, you know yeah. even though I am a man of the people and I, you know I do take public transportation Uh I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, people have to have a confidence. So they need to have a confidence uh, that, you know, that what they're hearing from the government and whatever these, you know, commissions or panels to reopen the economy look like. And we're hearing a little bit more about that every day. Will most people other than sort of hardcore believers in the president trust what you know what the president's saying and trust what his panel is advising? I think. You can't. This is really a case where you just can't appeal to your base. You really have to uh, be appeal to the mass of the American people. So um, I want to come back to all that stuff in a second, but first,
0: um, I have a rule. I basically never write or really in any deg- degree of depth talk about the Federal Reserve because, to me, it's just basically a, it's a hall of priests and, and and sorcerers and neuromancers, and I don't really understand what they do when things are normal. Um, but these are definitely not normal times. Can you explain just for the average listener or maybe even the average host of this podcast what exactly the Fed is doing and then maybe like whether you agree with it or what your concerns are with it or whether they should be doing more? Because um, I just, I,
1: I have a hard time Getting my head around some of that. Well, it. I mean, the Fed is serving its purpose as sort of a lender of re- last resort. Um, for instance, uh, you know, we have this. Uh, there's like this Main Street lending facility uh, where you have, we, where you're going to have businesses. Uh, you, you have bis- you know, Small businesses borrow um, from banks, and so what the Fe- so what the Fed will do is theoretically. They will like take those they will take those loans off the books of the banks. So that will let the, that will give those banks some of which may be smaller and not have a, a tremendous amount of lending capacity to then continue lending. So that's just a very small example of what they'll do. They want to keep credit flowing throughout the economy in uh, in, a, in, a, in a period of economic challenge. So, that, I mean, that's 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 like a very simple explanation of, of what they're doing. Uh, do I think they're doing too much? Uh, it seems to me a lot of those arguments were really recycled from again from the financial crisis in two thousand two uh, two thousand seven two thousand nine, where people were worried that all this lending and all this money sitting in the economy was going to generate uh, you know hyperinflation, the dollar was going to collapse. I've certainly sat in a lot of meetings with people who are certainly very worried about that. Uh, people on Capitol Hill, uh, senators, congressmen, that clearly uh, did not happen. Though there's that, sort of this. I think impulse to kind of go back, you know, to your instincts and, and, and to worry about that kind of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm not worried. Uh, Obviously at some point you need to have an economy that stands on its own. I just think, I think we're just way, way ahead of ourselves worrying about uh, you know, worrying about that the government's doing too much, that someone, someone's going to be getting a check that shouldn't be getting a check. This is, this is such a unique circumstance in which you have an economy collapsing because people don't want to be involved in it. And then you have government saying, stay home. Um, That the singular sort of policy goal, whether it's monetary policy or whether it's fiscal policy, is to try to keep the economy in good enough shape during this period of hibernation that there's something to go back to. So that recovery, which we were mentioning earlier, can be uh, as sharp as possible. That, That it doesn't turn into... You know, the economy drops, you know, on an annualized basis, 30 or 40 percent this quarter. But it only, you know, but and then it just kind of does nothing the next quarter. And then it's up like three or four percent and it's this slow grinding return to normalcy. Uh, That would be really, really bad. And we we can be sure we're going to have that if we just, you know, let businesses collapse, small businesses collapse, let big businesses collapse and treat this like it's some sort of you know, Schumpeterian creative destruction moment when it's really just kind of a destruction moment,
0: right? I mean, I, I think that's a really important point. The whole point of Schumpeterian creative destruction is that there's creation. There's, there's precious little creation in any of this. It's, you I
1: mean, know. these weren't businesses that were you know that were somehow they fa- all failing the market test, and right. and and so we we need to let them collapse so their workers and the capital could all be re- redeployed to either a better, a better existing business or some other new business. I mean, again, that's kind of what we were, you know, all, all taught about how this is supposed to work. So I think it's very, it's very tempting just to kind of fall back into that mode, uh, and, and, and think that, well, okay, great. This is going to be, this, this is going to be the, uh, you know, a cl- the cleansing fire of economic disaster. <laughs> and, uh, there was, a you know, I don't know if you saw this video, there was a guy on CNBC, um, Few days ago he was uh, a venture capitalist and he wa- he was in the we need to let these all these businesses collapse we're gonna have this zombie uh economy uh you know he he he's kind of one I think one of these late capitalist guys too mm-hmm. and uh, like really we're, we should just we should just let them all collapse like to me it sounded like and I'm sure this is a guy who thinks of himself as a person of the left when it really to me sounded like like Andrew Mellon 1929. You know, liquidate workers, liquidate real estate, liquidate stocks, liquidate the farmers. Yeah. And, you know, we need to purge the rottenness from the system. That is really not what is going on here. Uh, might we be having a different conversation, you know, a year or two from now? Maybe. But right now, it's not about purging the rottenness from the system. It's about making sure there's a there, there's a there's a system to go back to. So um,
0: what you know, I don't know, two weeks ago, I was much more inclined to be optimistic about this V-shaped recovery rather than a U-shaped recovery. But the longer you go, it just feels like getting to V is is maybe beyond, um, though we shouldn't get our hopes up for a V-shaped recovery, because even, even a V-shaped ascent has to climb for so long just to make up for what we lost
1: already. But where, where, you know,
0: if, pick your if, letter, pick
1: your metaphor, right? I mean, V, L, W. I like the Nike swoosh because it's not a letter, and uh, so I, is, will it will be a Nike. A Nike recovery? That's not good. I mean, it seems like that should be good. It's a swoosh. It's Nike. It's action oriented. Actually, that would not be good because if I'm as I'm thinking about what a Nike swoosh looks like, it's like a it's like kind of a drop and then it's kind of this slow ascent. So that, I think that's actually the hot metaphor in Wall Street is the Nike swoosh recovery or just the swoosh recovery.
0: I I think you know, the aggressive, like, checkmark emoji recovery is what you want. You know, that quick little dip down and then just a really long ride up. Um, but uh, what do you think about, like, just the – what? how ready is the economy? Again, let's assume that we can put this thing to bed because I don't think you c- can really get any kind of real recovery unless there's confidence that the virus is – De- dealt with but let's let's say they came out with a vaccine right and everyone was just like let's get the hell out of here let's go to dinner um what would if if you were a one-man committee to reopen the economy what would you do to to expedite the the v-shaped well, recovery my
1: concern is that moment may uh you know that moment may have passed already right. uh you know the the metaphor that you know ben bernanke has been uh using former Fed chairman was, you know, maybe this will just be like, you know, kind of like a, a storm. This would be like a bad storm, a bad winter storm. Everyone's locked down for a week or two. And then, uh, and then, you know, we shovel out or it thaws and we go back. I mean, when that happens, you know, there's, there's all those, all those restaurants are still there. Um, all those small retailers are, are still there. All those small manufacturers are also, and they just restart up. Um, and for, for, for folks who have been pushing, to get as much door, much money out the door as fast as possible. Their concern has been that the clock is ticking every single day, that every day that this economy is shut down and locked down and quarantined, uh, that 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 the disintegration process and erosion uh, of our private sector is just that much worse. And I mean, I, you know, I'm not, you know, if you look at, you know, how much money do small businesses keep on hand, and it's these are all, it's 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 clear that every day goes by, the damage is a little bit more. So that's why you know, I haven't really cared so much about putting in all these sort of safeguards to make sure that just the right people get loans, or or heavens the Betsy, uh, you know what, you know, you know, don't don't put the small business, uh. Uh, aid and, and a package with something else because I'm on the right and I may be concerned about too much aid to state and local governments. I think the big picture, none of that stuff is really is going to just. It matters, but it's going to be overwhelmed. I think by the destruction to the American private sector. So again, people have been pushing for all this small business aid, like my colleague Mike Strain and Glenn Hubbard had this plan. And if you look at their original plan, uh, it was a really simple plan. It was a push money out the door plan. From banks, you know that like the small business administration was involved. They tried to have as many fewer pe- few people as involved as possible because speed really was of the essence. You know, traditionally with economic stimulus, you know the problem is uh, that it's uh, that it, it's just not timely enough, which is why things like oh, let's go build uh, you know bullet trains or hyperloops all around the country. Maybe that's a fantastic idea, but it's but it just mm-hmm. takes too long. Uh, which is why these plans, people are like, well, now would be a great time to do infrastructure. Interest rates are really, really low. Uh, all that may be true, interest rates are low, and they're probably going to—they may w- very well stay low. But that doesn't help you right now. You, this is really—you, really, this is really a shoveling money to the private sector to keep it whole, and also to individuals to keep them whole and paying their bills as much as possible. Um, so I hope we haven't—I hope we haven't sort of missed that moment um, where we really didn't do enough. Uh, to have that v uh, V-shaped recovery, um, uh, I, I I I hope not. Um, and obviously, a lot of it, as you mentioned, is going to depend on how you know how confident people feel, which is sort of a medical issue, not a uh, not an economic issue. But my you know my concern is that we're going to look back at this as a period of unbelievable stagnation. Um, after, after a decade of so, a so, so, so econ- we had a this long boom then a so, so economy for a decade, then a long stagnation. I'm not sure what the politics looks like after that, but I'm guessing it's not good. Um, and I, again, I worry what the economics looks like, not just because of this, just because of the stagnation, but because people will no longer be doing, willing to do the things that it would take to have a, a, a better economy that, you know, grew faster and created more opportunity.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, is, when I hear you talk about it. And from following you on Twitter and all the rest, um, it seems to me it's sort of like if you have a raging forest fire, yeah, you want to aim the hose at the fire. But other than that, you're not really picky, right? It's just sort of like – Why are you wasting it, all that if, water on that good so tree? We're kind of that in good the... tree
1: doesn't need it. That tree doesn't need the right. water. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, um, look at all that water spilling on that other house. It's, I mean <laughs> – i'm, I'm sorry sure um, i'm talking over you but yeah so, so do you, what do you really care about what's the main thing here and the main and the main and the main thing is to come is to is, is, is to not have uh you know the the real core of the economy which is why listen do i you know i don't find you no know, bailout uh companies that are being you know, financed by venture capital all these young startups we we want them to all collapse too um you know might you know might might that not be my first choice to send money from the federal government to the Silicon Valley. But you know, it's, it's not my first concern that the, that the unjust, that the, you know, that the only the, the just, the justly deserving get money at this point.
0: Yeah. Um, so, but just getting back to the fed for a second, we're just printing that money, right? I mean, this is just money that we're in, essentially inventing. It is not, from any treasury or anything, we're not even borrowing a lot of it, right? I mean, the well, we, well, well, well like, one we... on
1: fiscal policy, obviously, we're going to be borrowing uh, a lot of money, and the Fed is the Fed is creating money, and you know, yeah. and are again, there is very little sign that this is that this is like a big there's a big inflation concern right now, right? So, um, I mean, I'm not complaining I, I, about I, I, it. I'm geez, just trying to understand. It, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I didn't tell. I didn't tell. I, I didn't tell you to buy the Krugerands. <laughs> I didn't tell you to do the timeshare in New Zealand. Uh, I told you none of these things. Uh, I know you're, you're, you have bet on inflation. You've bet on the apocalypse. Uh, I don't – that, again, if you're worried about the apocalypse, uh, I'd be worried about the the private sector apocalypse right now. And if that requires uh, the Fed to put a lot of money in the system, if it requires them to, to make sure that, 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 uh, that companies have access to the credit they need um, – that's I mean, that's why we create a Federal Reserve. I mean, people, you know, you know, during the uh, during the 1800s, we had all these booms and busts. Uh, it was a very volatile economy uh, in, a, in the second, even though, even though it was overall growing. And the second half of the 19th century was a time of like of, of where the U.S. really started to become the, the main industrial power in the world. But we had a very volatile economy. And one of the points of the Federal Reserve is to not have that kind of uh, uh, volatility. So the Fed is doing what I mean, this is why we have a Fed these Mm -hmm. is to deal with these kinds of um really severe uh demand shocks so um this is what it's supposed to be doing uh if you prefer to have the liquidationist uh you know let's just let it all collapse and then we can spend you know many many years rebuilding rebuilding the economy and somehow that will be a better economy and that's 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 another perspective but if that's the way we're gonna go uh, i'll i'm gonna go to the timeshare in new zealand
0: yeah, so look, I, I am not the liquidationist guy, and and just we don't need to go down this rabbit hole. But neither was Herbert Hoover, contrary to a lot of uh, rumors to the contrary. Um, Some people want to
1: see the world burn, Jonah. Some people just want to see the world burn. <laughs> All right, I, I don't know, I don't know where you're coming from on this, but okay.
0: Um, uh, no, and I I don't think this is the apocalypse. I mean, I I'm waiting. It Seems to me that the coronavirus needs to mutate into a zombie virus for that. I mean, that's the kind of apocalypse we deserve. Um, but don't so, talk
1: about how the second wave of the Spanish flu was the dangerous wave. Let's not even think about that. that that's <laughs> not the one where people started to turn their bodies started to turn black from their fingertips and it would crawl, crawl up their arms. Let's not even discuss the second wave of the Spanish flu
0: deal. Um, nor will I talk about, you know, the black death, which, you know, was just a laugh riot. Um, so, we're both uh liberal democratic capitalism as good guys. Um, and, um, you know, and one of the things I think for me, these two financial crises combined have really reminded me that, that it's, it's, it's not a naturally occurring system, right? I mean, there's a big point in my book, but, It requires a certain amount of engineering to keep the engine of this thing going because it can run into a ditch from things like wars and pandemics and all the rest. If you're thinking about what we need to have a a sustained economic recovery afterwards – what are the things either in government policy or attitudinally that you're most worried about? Is it just this fear of risk taking thing that comes out that you think might come out of it? Or is it that we now, you know, we switch to this notion of a universal basic income and that the forces of socialized medicine have won this argument for some reason uh, coming out of this? Uh, what 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 are the things that you're afraid we might that might get burned off?
1: Um by all of this well right I, th- I mean i think i think uh i think the risk aversion um is a biggie but i mean uh but maybe i'll jump back to that but I, all even listen even before this happened you know there was this and there's this whole sort of uh you know sort of you know you know political hot take um you certainly saw it you know among kind of like the bernie sanders people but i think uh more uh, among people on the left more generally Certainly see it a lot in a lot of news stories that we were in sort of this period of end of game, late stage capitalism. That capitalism, as we know it, and certainly practiced in the United States, um, has, had reached sort of an end point where what, all we were getting was economic, you know, kind of economic stagnation. And what growth there was is, is only going to the people at the very top. And uh, this 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 is kind of where we're at the end point and now we need some sort of different system. Uh, So now we now we have this sort of, you know, you know, economic, uh, you know, collapse out of people are feared to leave their homes. And the government is saying you're right to you're right to fear to leave your home, stay in your house. And then you see somebody like AOC. uh, She uh, not, you know, not to pick on her, but I think this is actually a really good example that she tweeted a picture of herself in front of like a graphic from CNBC where I'm an official contributor uh, saying that this is, you know, this is the, you know, the worst, you know, worst week for the Dow, like since, you know, the early 1930s There's some horrific economic, you know, statistic. And, and, and she tweeted something like, you know, like late capitalism isn't late capitalism great or late capitalism for the wind. Uh, so they're trying to use this as an example of how capitalism just doesn't work. And we've been warning, we've been warning you that it's the end of it's the end of game for capitalism. And now here we are. Capitalism has collapsed. It's almost as if they're trying to, you know, blame, you know, capitalism for, uh, for the virus in some fashion, they don't quite make that connection, but they're saying that this is kind of what we were warning about now. Now we, now we, from the ashes, we need to build a new society. So a, 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 better, finer society a social democratic, democratic social society, and we can debate what that means. So yeah, so I, I think the things that uh, you know, as you, as you, um, uh, you know, as, you, as you've written in your book, and you certainly write a lot um, in your, you know, other columns, that the natural state of things is not a state of economic freedom and liberal democracy and rising prosperity. And I worry that we will be, we will abandon the things that have done that, which is having a free, and open economy. Where, particularly in the United States, that we are the preeminent destination for you know the best and brightest to come here, uh, that we are a nation of risk takers, and that there'll be this growing idea that you know growth doesn't matter, those things don't matter. Uh, what matters is something else and that's something else, maybe just redistribution or maybe it won't be GDP. It'll be these happiness indexes. We'll find new ways, new ways to gauge what a good society is. But I think ultimately uh, we'll, we'll see what we'll see how uh, how it works. Uh, if the next 10 years we grow at 0.5 percent, uh, I don't again, I don't think that is going to be that is going to set the stage for a society that will be happy and healthy and optimistic. It's going to seem pretty miserable.
0: Um, obviously, I agree with a lot of that, uh, and it seems to me that once we're out from under here, it's going to be really important for, for institutions to that believe in this stuff to actually play their part in sort of the not just the economic reconstruction, but the philosophic reconstruction or recovery, and that's why I want to talk about donors' trust. In times of national emergencies, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society try to find ways to be helpful. And that's why it's good to have charitable resources ready to deploy where they're most needed. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds. You can use these funds as your own charitable savings account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support local charities working to help their communities while continuing to support the think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe federalism, our civil liberties, and our Constitution should not get lost in times of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash dingo for our six reasons to use a donor advised fund and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give charitably that's donorstrust.org slash dingo d-i-n-g-o we thank donors Trust for being a sponsor of the remnant podcast very very nice you like that you like that yeah, really,
1: um i really kind of caught want like i want to hear more about this <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a do you have a brochure i could read
0: i i in fact i do uh <laughs> um, but we'll talk about that in a little bit all right so um let's are you uh are you uh, are you willing and able to do a little sort of uh, economic political punditry you know get down on the gutter with me
1: Get down there, gotta get down there where the dogs are eating meat. <laughs> Wrestle with the pigs. Um, uh, yeah, I'll do my best.
0: Okay, yeah. So, uh, what a what a how do you grade the team Trump's uh, response to all of this, uh, either on the pandemic side or on the economic side, and and how much hope are you putting in uh, Wilbur Ross? Uh, Jared and Ivanka. Uh, I mean, our friend Larry Kudlow's on there, which is which is good, right? In um, this committee to save the reopen the economy or whatever the hell they're calling it.
1: Uh, listen, I'd li- listen. I like the idea uh, that we I mean we absolutely should be thinking, uh, you know, and and they should be thinking in the White House every day about what it takes to get this economy, uh, reopen. Uh, it, you know, the, you know, the economy is sort of disintegrating, the private sector is disintegrating, disintegrating, people's finances are disintegrating. And, uh, no, and, and at some point almost no matter what, uh, we do as far as testing and tracing and quarantining and therapeutics and vaccines, the economy, people will have to go back to work. Um, and I think even if you're nervous, eventually we have to reopen the economy. Uh, but you know, that's, that's not, that's not today. Um, it may be sooner rather than later. So I think having a committee to to think really hard about that is great. Um, I'm not sure you should have the committee be like the exact same people who were there anyway. Uh, I think, I think having the, the, the director of the uh, National Economic Council, Larry Kudlow, perfectly appropriate. I think having the treasury secretary is there perfectly appropriate. Uh, this listen, I mean, Trump has said the president has said like this is this is like the biggest decision he'll have to make. Uh, there may have been very few other decisions bigger than this one, whether to reopen this economy, because if you screw it up and we have to close the economy back down, that is just going to be a political, economic, psychological gut punch. So you want to get it right. So I guess I would like to see certainly medical people uh, on that on that committee, uh, you know, I, you know, I think you know whether it's whether it's Fauci or Burks or Francis Collins, who's the head of the NIH. I guess I would like to see I would like to see them on that committee. Uh, I would like to see uh, you know uh, Democrats, uh, people, health experts who you might think is the uh, Democrats or might appear in a Joe Biden administration. I'd like to see them on that committee. I would like to see out, outside economists, you know, Larry Summers, you know, Jason Furman, uh, you know, Glenn Hubbard. Uh, my friend Mike Strain from AEI. Uh, you, you want a Republican Fed Chairman Bernanke. you Get a Democratic you know, former uh, Fed Chair Janet Yellen. I'd, th- I'd like to see this be a, a a panel left and right, people inside and outside. Uh, I think I think you just get not only do I think you would end up probably getting a better decision, but people have to have confidence in what this panel comes up with. You, it doesn't just matter if the you know hardcore. Um, you know, sort of Republican has confidence in this panel, because it's not just them who are staying home. So I think you want a a, a, a committee that's going to come up with a good decision and a widely accepted decision. And I'm not sure that committee is currently set up to fulfill either of those objectives. You sweet, sweet naive
0: kid <laughs> in the woods. It's, uh, it's just horrible. I mean, I'm listening to you. I'm like, and then we could have the Justice League have Prince Namor and Aquaman, and and, that's and that's maybe. Not an idea.
1: That's not an idea. I'm not, you know, some ideas have a power of their own.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, no, though that that's all that that really sounded fantastic, um, and you know, I. Just,
1: I like an 80 mile an hour fastball for you right there yeah there. no, it's, it's
0: great 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 and uh you know when it's like what is the old economist joke you know uh, first assume a ladder <laughs> um, you know and an
1: island assume a boat yeah uh
0: the, the the that's not gonna happen you're, but you're absolutely right it's not only that you need confidence you need buy-in right you need people in the room from different parts from different constituencies to sign off on stuff. But uh, that's not how this this
1: railroad operates. And um, if I gave you the ideal version, I think I think what we're getting now is the least most suboptimal version, which is to have not just not just Republicans, but like the most like the same six or seven people who. Who are just happened to be there for every other decision Uh, that I mean, it's almost at that point, like, you know, I don't think there's any buy in. I think nobody other than hardcore Republicans are going to care what that committee uh, comes up with. Um, So I I know, you know, again, maybe maybe I did. I I did give the the idealized version, but there's got to be something a little bit more in the middle or else or else it's really just going to depend on. You know what people sort of glean from what the governors are saying and media sources are saying and they're going to make their own decision if you're looking for any kind of guidance or leadership it's got to be better than that
0: yeah i mean you could actually make a case that it would be better if they put kanye west on it um, than what it is now right because at least kanye west brings in some additional constituency (laughs) <laughs> that you know uh, we need to have conf- that we need to imbue with confidence right i mean there's the political scientist ee schott i know you're a big fan of his oh, uh man. who came up. up with this this stuff about uh, expanding the scope of conflict right you bring you want to bring in more allies this this is really a bunker committee right it's like these are the these are the four these are the four or five people who are already in the downfall video <laughs> oh, and we're going to give them more work, um,
1: but I, I have to say, you know, I think we know what all these people want. I mean, I mean, I mean, we you could cre- you could create like like a chat bot that could probably very accurately duplicate what each of these people uh, are are going to say, and what it, what it, what they're going to say is. We need to get that economy on again. We need to get that unemployment rate down. We need to get the, we need to get the GDP up. I mean, one person on that committee is my good friend Larry Kudlow, and I feel like I have a very good feel uh, on what Larry would like to do and he would he I think he would he would like to do uh, would be to embrace growth and optimism and you know, let's let let the amazing American growth machine do its, you know, get government out of the way, stop pouring sand in the gears and get it going. And I would like to get it going, too. Uh, I just don't know if, uh, you know, the the second week or third week of April is the time to get it going. Yeah, and, and, you know,
0: I got to say, Mnuchin, who I sometimes think could play the grown-up Millhouse from The Simpsons (laughs) in the live-action movie, uh, actually hasn't been that bad. I mean, like like when you actually listen to him, he, he... He doesn't, he seems to have a grasp of the facts and the urgency of the situation that I would not necessarily. He's been a pleasant surprise. Um, uh, And Mike Pence, when he is um, not spelunking up the president's posterior Mm -hmm. in acts of sycophancy, I actually think is actually pretty good about the stuff, you know, the actual merits and facts of this stuff. But I, putting Jared and Ivanka on there is such a such a bad look for this country. If you were watching this from abroad, it just seems to me you would not say, "Oh, okay, so this is a really serious country." Um, and uh, it makes me despair a little bit. But you
1: know. I think I mean the constri- I think the const- the constraint here is that they truly you know, whether it's for any reason, whether it's, you know, mani- uh, humanitarian or economic or political is that they really can't screw this up. You you re- you know, you really need to have a good outcome. You can't have an outcome where uh, they say like, we think we have decided now's a fantastic time. Get going, uh, you know, to be patriotic is to, to leave your house and go to restaurants and shopping and take public transportation or what have you. That's what you need to do. And a lot of people do that. And then you have this secondary massive outbreak and you know the economy which may have shown a few signs of life we get we get a instead of just a second quarter being down 30 30 or 40 percent on an annualized basis we get we get the third quarter down and people say you re, i mean that it has i mean that that has to be a huge constraint on their on, on their actions and wanting to brace this really you know hyper optimistic i mean you have to be a very short-term thinker Perhaps there are some very short term thinkers in the White House to not consider that possibility. So they really don't want to screw that up because then, I mean, and then you really start to look at like some sort of massive Biden, uh, you know, landslide, not just a loss, but, a, you know, but a historic loss. And certainly if you look at a lot of these uh, these political, you know, economic forecasting models, you know, you start plugging in, like, you know, minus 40 percent GDP. Um, That's bad, know, right? Right. Right. It's like, you know, right, it's bad. It's really bad. And, you know, Biden, you know you know, you know, wins like, you know, every every state, every county, every block under some of these scenarios, <laughs> because there's not built they're not built, you know, for like minus 50 percent, you know, growth rates. Yeah. Uh, and that's and so, yeah, so certainly I mean, they would want to, uh, you know,
0: they would, but also they I
1: mean, a to rebound,
0: you know, it's actually a good point, because it's right now, I think, quite fairly, you can't I mean, I, I think Trump dropped the ball massively on the on a testing and supply chain stuff in February when we could have made a lot of progress. But that failure was kind of within normal parameters for a lot of countries. If particularly if they have that committee, which is all Trumpist, right? There's nobody outside the coalition and they make a decision. And then Trump makes the decision about reopening the economy, even though constitutionally and pragmatically, there are or legally there are a lot of reasons why he can't do that. But let's just say he he takes credit for it. He opens up the economy, and then you get that second hit. Then he gets the blame, right? It's not like the hit the economy is taking right now is not Trump's fault. It's some sloppy lab tech in Wuhan province's fault, but. Um, if you reopen the economy, send everybody back to work, and then you get this three times as hard, and you do get five hundred thousand or a million dead, and the economy goes completely shut, that decision is on him. And politically, that is just <laughs>
1: that's bad. That's as on they him. say. That's on his hand, him and his hand-picked committee. Right. Ugh, to a, to a whom, uh, you know, are are you know, are his relatives? I mean, it couldn't be more of a hand-picked committee and more of a a, a Trumpian committee. So yeah, so. I, Again, I would have to think that would that would loom very, very large. But perhaps again, you know, like from Battlestar Galactica, one of my favorite shows, sometimes you got to throw the hard six and maybe they figure, you know, they're going to risk it that right now. Too much more of this is already going to sink the election in November and it's already going to sink the economy and time is wasting. So we need to open this up and and maybe and who knows, maybe they don't think it's a gamble. Maybe they are. They're listening to some of these voices uh, who, who are saying that, you know, this is not as dangerous. It's not as lethal. And it's not really a pandemic. And I don't know, maybe that message is really sunk into some of the White House. They really don't think it's that big a risk. And uh, they're not really worried about a bounce back. And if that's the case, I uh, imagine the, the president will get, up, will get up there at the podium and say, I urge you to go back to your normal lives. And a lot of people will listen, no matter what they read in the media or what their local or what their governor is saying. Yeah. So you were being very diplomatic here. And
0: I don't want to put you in a hard spot. You know, he's a friend of mine. Um, or at least we used to be. Very Friendly, um, but Bill Bennett, did you see his statements on Fox and Friends this week? Um, I did, <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, we don't have to get anything personal about Bill. I, I it breaks my heart a lot of the decisions that Bill has made, but um, there is this very strong argument out there. It seems to be running, it seems to have gone viral in certain parts of California's. Right-wing network, um, and it's a very but it's a it, it keeps percolating up in Fox World as well, where I am a contributor. Um, let's assume good faith, right? Let's assume that it's it's a good faith argument. Let's disregard for two seconds the fact that it is actually, if you actually take it seriously, one of the most searing indictments of the Trump administration you can imagine, because they are responsible for this thing that they think is a mistake. You know, Bill Bennett is saying, you he got know, started. yeah, well, he, he, he won't even say Trump's name. He just says, we're overreacting. We're going crazy. The media is hyping this as if Donald Trump wasn't part of that process in some way. It's very weird. Um, but what do you think of the merits of this thing about, you know, you have know, all these people enviously looking at the Swedish model where they quarantine the 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 you know the, the vulnerable, and then they let everybody else basically behave in the economy the way they want with some limits on large groups. <laughs> where,
1: where, where do you come down on all that? It's true to me it's truly amazing <laughs> that ha- that having had Republicans and conservatives for years saying pay no attention to what they do in Scandinavia it's a very different place <laughs> you can't extrapolate from this sort of weird niche microeconomy uh where every, where you know everybody has this you know very similar background and they have their own unique and historic and cultural you know legacy you can't compare that to a america a continent spanning diverse <laughs> and now they're like we need to do exactly what Sweden does. They've those guys have figured those guys have figured it out. I mean, we need to just like cut and paste Swedish policy for the United States. When, it, when, it, when, in fact Sweden is a very different place. Uh, whether whether it's their culture, whether it's their density, uh, whether it's the amount, of, the number of people who live, you know, who live by themselves. Um, I think and, it's the herring. I think herring gives you natural. Well, immunity, that's but... that's usually at the core. You that's often the case for <laughs> many many for different so many issues. things. Uh, and when you. And know we'll see how the Swedish experiment plays out. but if what if what you're if the reason you're doing it is because you think that that whatever the difference that will end up as far as the number of people who get it, the United States versus Sweden, and how many people die, that the difference won't be enough to uh, offset the huge economic damage. when you know when I was looking at what Sweden itself has been forecasting for its economy, they have been forecasting a bigger hit to their economy than to the United States. So they think that they're actually gonna do worse than the U.S. economy. Now, that's sort of one analysis from the Swedish government, but it is it is certainly you certainly should not take it for granted that their result may uh, either give you somewhat more or somewhat fewer, you know, deaths or fat- uh, deaths or, or people who contract the illness, but it'll get you a much better economic result. I don't think the evidence is there that they're going to get a much economic result. In fact, they think they may get a worse economic result. So for all those other reasons, I'd be very careful about saying, you know, here's what Sweden is doing. And, uh, oh, and look what Switzerland is doing. And, they, you know, they have a lot of deaths, you know. So clearly, you know, those, those are the two countries that should be our models. Uh, I'd be very reluctant to do no, that.
0: Uh, uh... Early on in this thing, and you alluded to it a little bit before about, you know, uh, people saying, aha, now this proves our case against capitalism and for socialism and all the rest. There was this period where the coronavirus, I was saying, should just be called the confirm your priors virus because everyone was just retreating to their comfort zones in one way or another. And that happened on the right, too. A lot of our friends were doing oh, this is the perfect time for a payroll tax cut and all these kinds of things, which I'm not necessarily against. It just doesn't seem to me the obvious tool for a lot of the problems that we got. Um, Similarly, like I'm normally against canceling student debt, but during this, maybe that is a good idea, right? Um, So what I'm getting at is what are some of the things that um, have – conflicted with your priors and all of this. I mean, other than just shoveling money out the door, which you didn't used to be in favor of. Um, like the one, I'll give you mine, right? The one thing where I am more sympathetic than I was is the supply chain stuff with China. Not with the world, but with China, right? in term, And specifically with the pharmaceutical stuff. Um, and, you know, maybe there is a better argument for bringing some of that stuff home or at least getting it from allied countries that you can trust more that said you know if if you go over the american mine this site that's sort of part of the claremont people you got you have some crazy stuff you have you know peace make america autar- autarkic again is one there was also another one at least the right. headline of which was cancel all of our chinese debt which would i think be uh i think right. the term in the foreign policy theory is an act of war, <laughs> um, which is not something we really need right now. But so like, I don't go that far, but I'm willing to rethink some of those things.
1: So, you know, you know, if, if, you, if you watch all the movies where there's like a pandemic, we're sort. if this was that movie, we're actually at the point where, and then, you know, and mm-hmm. then China and India launch nukes at each other. We're sort, we're sort of at that, you know, at that, at that, at that stage. So I am a little concerned when people are, when people start <laughs> saying we need to punish China. Um, maybe save that. Maybe say, hey, hey, love the thought. Um, you know, maybe that's, maybe we need, but maybe wait until, um, you know, we, we have, we have the, 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 refrigerator trucks are no longer outside the hospitals. Yeah. yeah, yeah that, that seems fair. Uh, the thing, uh, yeah, listen, um, I, you know, it, it's certainly like an impulse to think like, Oh, obviously we need to, there's something wrong with these supply chains and maybe we should be making, you know, all the, all our own N95 masks. Um, you know, then I also think. Why were why were why were we not spending the last ten years or uh, or c- certainly since the H one N one you know in two thousand nine, why were we why are we not stockpiling a national strategic mask reserve and yeah. uh, and keeping that fulfilled and why weren't we buying those masks those fine masks at fantastic low prices on the global market, um, so it's sort of like what your time frame if if what you're going to say is we're not going to do anything to prepare. Right. And what prepar- preparations we make, uh, we're not we're, you know, we're, we're not we're not going to sustain them. And then we're going to wait to the moment of crisis to like, you know, where are you know, we're, we're the drugs, where are the masks? Right. Then maybe everything needs to be made. in the United States. if that's how we're going to operate. We're not going to be forward looking. Uh, we're, we're, we're not going to we're not going to make plans and follow through on them. Then, then I guess I guess I guess that's probably what we should do. We should make everything here. But it seems to me that even with a little bit of foresight and preparation, that it was not hard to predict that we need to have, I mean, this is not a black swan. Um, uh, I don't like promoting my own work, but you know, I wrote a, I wrote a column for the week where I'm a regular uh, columnist, uh, you know, th- that, you know, this isn't, this isn't a bolt from the blue black swan, just completely like unpredictable or so unlikely that there's no way you really could have prepared for it. Not when you have multiple uh, outbreaks for, for 20 years, when like, Every other movie that comes out is about viruses, whether it turns into a zombie or just kills you. This is a culture that has been steeped in the fear of outbreak. We've had government, which has done a million plans on on how to deal with an outbreak. And then to sit here now and think, well, you know, we don't know when something like this is going to happen. We need to make everything in the United States. Uh, We can't have anybody come to the United States, you know, unless they're in a one month quarantine and we've examined their blood. I mean that's another way to go, but it seems to me that U.S. will lose a lot with that. With that, and I, I would focus a little bit on the downsides of that kind of approach.
0: No, that's a, that's a good answer. I have to say, and it's shockingly good coming from you. But um... <laughs> <laughs> that, was my, that
1: was my only good sixty seconds, and I... <laughs>
0: um, uh, so. But what? So has this thing caused you to sort of rethink any prior positions in a sort of first principles kind of way, or at least in a second principles kind of way?
1: Listen, I, I I mean I I am thinking hard about like uh about some of the, about some of these supply chain issues and just just, just as we would not uh want China manuf- manufacturing uh, our next generation fighter jets or right. b- building our aircraft carriers uh would you want this these things to be sourced um certainly I, I think a more diverse uh, supply line where you don't have such a a high percentage then there's been different statistics about how much is actually. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's certainly, uh, worthy to, to, uh, to look at that kind of issue. Um, and I mean, you you you've sort of it took my number one answer away, uh, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is, you know, uh, you know sp- spending a lot of money. And I mean, I've been one who, who I do care about uh, debts and deficits, and I'm not and I have not been willing to gamble that some of these crazy theories like modern monetary theory are correct or, hey, Japan's at 250 percent debt to GDP. I guess we have 150 percentage points <laughs> to play with. Uh, you know, let's 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 gamble it. Uh, um, so, yeah, so because you know, I've been saying hey go ahead spend the trillion that enough well, spend another trillion. I, that is certainly not how I have sort of approached these things in the past. Uh, and should we have another terrible pandemic I, I you know I, hopefully I'll be I'll be quicker I'll be quicker to say let's you know you know money printer go bird, let's go let's get it let's get let's get the aid out there. So that's that's certainly an, uh, an issue and that's certainly right like right now my big concern isn't like the debt to GDP ratio, something you know I've written a lot about. But the, but the one area, and I think it's a general point of of what I have been con, super concerned about is our in our inability to think hard about uh, what to be not so present focus and now not so economic nostalgia focus and, and think hard about what we can do uh, to make sure this is a healthy, growing, thriving economy that for a lot of reasons hasn't been that way for some time and um, and yeah, so not being enough, not being forward-looking enough. This, this, that confirms my uh, bias that we're not forward-looking enough. That something like this, uh, that we are not better prepared for. And I granted, other countries may have not also been they may have you know suffered the same fault and not better been better prepared. But Jonah, this is it's America. I expect, <laughs> I expect us to be on the frontier. I, expect, I, I I'm not judging by whether we did better than Belgium. Great, that's it. Well, it's the old thing on uh, you know, just another nation on the you know, the roll call between I don't know, was it Andorra and Zimbabwe or <laughs> maybe Albanian Zimbabwe? Well, we've reached it. You know, we're we're in that we're in that sweet middle right around Belgium or something. I, I think we can do better than that. I think we should have greater expectations from our government.
0: Well, look, I haven't I haven't given up my view that um every day patriotic Americans need to ask what they are doing to prevent Belgian hegemony. And um Another thing I haven't given up is my commitment and fondness for the Constitution, and specifically the 14th Amendment, which is why I want to talk about Bound by Oath. Okay, so uh, as listeners have heard me talk about before, uh, Bound by Oath is a deep dive into the history of the 14th Amendment. It's a podcast that is accessible and enjoyable to non-lawyers, but also full of interesting tidbits for lawyers as well. It's put up by our friends at the Institute for Justice who do amazing work um, the podcast uh, makes most sense if you just listen to it from the, be- from the beginning and binge it. Um, it's what all the cool kids are doing these days. They tell the stories of various IJ clients who are fighting for the right to earn a living, for property rights, and for other essential American liberties. Bound by Oath is available on any podcast platform that uh, has podcasts. And you can simply search Bound by Oath on the internet as well. Uh, we'll put a link in our show notes. We thank Bound by Oath. For uh, sponsoring today's episode of The Remnant. Okay, so um, uh, James, let's now let's talk about the stuff that you know is the sweet sweet elixir of life. Uh, what have you been watching in uh, in your quarantine? What 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 have you been streaming? What have you been revisiting? What new material are you
1: watching? Talk to me. Give us some tips. Oh, um, uh, well, I, th- I suppose I've been catching up i've uh-huh. been catching up on things like you know uh, p- catching up on uh, uh on on picard uh that's been one i've uh and have you finished i should, it? I, uh, I have i did finish uh, i did finish picard I, th- I thought i thought it gained strength uh, as it went on much like actually i thought that uh patrick stewart's pr- portrayal sort of gained a little bit of energy i was first few episodes i'm like boy they should have made this too bad they didn't make this five years ago but i actually felt like he gained you know power and vitality uh in the in the latter episodes, so although uh,
0: I, I agree with you i, I just I, the where he goes undercover as some sort of French arms dealer
1: that's <laughs> not a high point it was not a bad it was like some of the worst holodeck uh episodes yeah
0: that made me very uh, uncomfortable I mean it just made uh, me feel personally unsafe but anyway <laughs> uh what else um,
1: uh that uh what else um i I begun watching, and this is boy uh um. Uh, I hate to admit it because uh, I, I know people who don't like this show for a ro- variety of reasons. But I've begun watching <laughs> *A Handmaid's Tale*. Oh, really? Uh, I've been yes. thinking about doing that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I'm 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 almost done with season one of *Handmaid's Tale*, and I I I was actually prepared to like it a lot because there's a lot, you know. I, I'm, I'm a sucker for such just science fiction but sort of alternate reality and uh, I, I even like the I think the uh, much derided Man in High Castle series I thought that was good well, uh, you're also very patriarchal yeah, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> finally so this <laughs> is how it could work uh, but I've been a little but not to uh, you know any spoilers in case you watch it but I've been a little disappointed at sort of the, the internal logic the world building I would like them to explain more about like what is this philosophy that led to this world I think they have not done a very good but may, maybe that's all in season two yeah. uh, it's amazing two.
0: that a dystopia based on a straw man version of uh male society male driven society grounded in 1980s academic feminism would get its world building a little off you know that's really weird
1: uh yeah it could be a bit better yeah. it could be a bit better uh. Um, this is sort of back on uh, on topic but I just finished uh, a book called pale rider uh, which is a really uh, a great book about the 1918 influenza or Spanish flu and there's a few books out like that but what this sort of does differently uh, is that it, most of those books are either you know they're sort of technical or they focus a lot in the United States and this gives kind of a, a broader global view uh, of, of that outbreak and what and what you really see in that book is all the issues that we're talking about now about you know when to quarantine and should people be you know should we shut down the churches too uh you know fear you know fear the foreigners are you know fear foreigners are bringing in the this uh this this terrible uh, virus so of course they didn't know it was a virus that's actually that's uh i haven't read a lot of those books but this one i was was excellent and it's told in a very literary way uh so i would also recommend pale rider uh if you're looking for a, a if you want to you know, for, further immerse yourself uh, into this outbreak. So that's, The John uh, Barry
0: uh, book on influenza was great. I really got a lot like of a it. That's like the
1: classic. That's yeah. sort of like the first one people recommend. I, and that's one uh, uh, President George W. Bush apparently read, which got him very interested in the topic. And that is, That's that's sort of the UR book uh, on these. That, I think, came out in 2005. This one I mentioned, I think, was may have even been 2017. Um, so it also has, um, you know, whatever, sort of the latest... You know, research on where the Spanish flu came from. So, I I, I would uh, recommend that. Then I'm also uh, been I'm reading a uh, a book on on uh, uh, about Vinny. I just uh, just finished on Vinny Bush, who uh, ran like the uh, the government's military scientific research effort during World War II. Uh, hmm. uh, if you like that kind of thing, uh, <laughs> uh, "Endless Frontier" that's a pretty good book. There.
0: So, um, have you?
1: I'm not watching TV all the time, Jonah. I know, I understand. Why are these people watching TV? like, I'm catching up on all these series all day. <laughs> I mean, I, I... So I just I, finished... I, Disney, I work. I just
0: I work. finished Star Trek Discovery, which I had not watched before. Uh, have you
1: watched it? I'm hoping that my initial take was wrong because I have been planning on returning. Like Game of Thrones is a show. I think a lot of people have had this experience. They watched one or two episodes of Game of Thrones and then they abandoned it and came back. Like yeah. I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones and then I didn't watch it again for several years. Uh, and then it ended up, you know, like binge watching it. So maybe, maybe Discovery will be like that. And I was just kind of put off initially, uh, but you liked it. I have to say I did. Um, you know, I had sort of
0: put Star Trek the whole Star Trek universe kind of on the back burner. I was kind of exhausted with the movies. Um, and uh, I think I didn't even, the Scott Bakula one, uh, I don't yeah. think I actually yeah. watched more than two episodes of that, although the uh, the the Vulcan lady, um, uh, I did not look away whenever she was on the screen. Um, but I just was not all that interested in it. And and I thought there was – there have been a lot of shark junk, jumping in the Star War, Star Trek universe for a while. But I I kind of liked – I mean there was some problems with canon issues that they had to – and I don't mean like the things that fire the photon torpedoes uh, – that were a little forced. But I really – I have to say I really enjoyed it and I was kind of shocked when I said that I liked it on Twitter – and a lot of people came after me as if this was some sort of outrage, and that you're that this was like the Nickelback of sci-fi TV shows or something. And um, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought their, their, some of their time travel stuff was pretty well done. And um, I think I think maybe some people are just offended that it's a very female-driven show with strong female characters, and you know the kind of people who like A Handmaid's Tale might have a problem with this kind of
1: show. <laughs> uh where their scorn where their scorn as a as a badge of honor uh, <laughs> uh, like that they, you know uh, a twitter bad Twitter response has not prevented me from whenever I get a chance uh proclaim, proclaiming my my love for lost, nor should it stop you from proclaiming your love of Star trek discovery
0: <sighs> you know uh, jack, it's a great, jack It's a really great job Jack lost. Butler, my former um, amanuensis <laughs> uh was your only ally in the AI building. <laughs>
1: On lost Jonah, as far they're they not—they're not lost in an island. They're lost in their lives. Uh-huh. That's and that's and that's the journey they're taking—not to get off—to get off how they how, how they've been they've been marooned in their own troubles. That's what it's about. Yeah, and that's stupid. Uh, <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, look, I mean,
0: so my problem with Lost, and we've had this conversation before. I know it's a lunchroom conversation that we return to often, uh, but uh, Lost. And also with Battlestar Galactica, where I am with you. The first two, three seasons of Battlestar Galactica. This is,
1: this is, this is, like this is this maybe your absolute worst opinion. Was one of the best shows ever is, made, is right? That you're critical of the end of Battlestar Galactica.
0: Look, the show began for years telling us that the Cylons have a plan. For years, every single opening credit roll, and they have a plan. And then it turned out they had nothing like a plan. Nothing like a plan and the whole internal consistency of how the Cylons operated started to make no sense the same thing is true of Lost they started something that was really cool, they were great at setting the scene building the mood and then they had no idea how to end the thing and so they just built money out of our eyeballs for years until at the very end they just rubbed feces in our faces and said eat it because there's nothing here that was worth wasting all your time on
1: Listen, Jonah, I know guys like you. <laughs> you sit there and, you're, and you make your own YouTube videos about how the transporter really works. Are they phase shifting through reality? Are they actually being de- 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 deconstructed in their atoms Or you're killing someone on the transfer every time? Why aren't they giving us an answer? They seem to jump back and forth. They're inconsistent. <laughs> I live in the world with humans. I like I like the human journey. Oh. I like I like the catharsis. I like the I like the I like the powerful emotional resolutions. That that which
0: is really <laughs> ironic, given how in your day to day life you are closest to say a, a Vulcan or a Commander Data that I know. <laughs> These, uh, the,
1: I believe this was this was part of your terrible conversation with Kevin Williamson when you were attacking me on the last episode. Uh, I certainly do not consider myself like that. Uh-huh. You know, you're just I mean, you're a
0: good guy. People like you, but you're a cold, emotionless automaton. And everyone knows that. <laughs> and, you know, you have a certain Rich Larry like ability that when the camera or the microphone is on to all of a sudden become surprisingly lifelike. But then you go back to
1: whatever reserves of humanity I have.
0: (laughs) This must be exhausting for you.
1: (laughs) If like like my like if I'm on TV and the segment's more than two minutes and 30 seconds, I just begin to shut down. (laughs) I require
0: protein strings. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Jimmy P, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, It's a long time in coming. And uh, um, I hope uh, we'll actually be able to get you back at some point.
1: Excellent. We'll see you on the other side.
0: Okay, so uh, Jimmy P has left, and um, I want to be very clear that when I give him a hard time, I do it out of love. Uh, Well, out of like. Um, Out of a sense of collegial obligation, I guess. Um, No, but uh, Jim's a great guy and um, does great work. And so do my friends and colleagues at The Dispatch. We've had a bunch of uh, BAFO stuff up there lately. If you can subscribe, th- that would be great. If, uh, but if you don't have you know, the disposable income these days, we totally understand. You can still check out a lot of the free content that we got up there. We had a great two-parter from uh, Rule Correct on america's relation the trump administration's relationship with iran that in inside the beltway policymakers are paying a lot of attention to it's really an important piece david had a wonderful piece about easter um i did some rambling things about some stuff um which i will probably catch up on on the end of the week audio g files slash the ruminant uh uh, which we can pick up on some of those themes later. Thanks for the positive feedback about all of that. Um, I uh, really didn't expect people to to take to the thing as much as they have. Um, thanks to Nicholas and Caleb, who you people who are listening to this don't realize that when I do these interview podcasts, they are staring blankly like uh, some sort of cud-chewing ungulate um, um, Uh, uh, into the camera for the entire time, which is somewhat distracting. And I could tell that they only really engaged in this podcast when uh, Pethokoukos and I went back and forth on Lost, um, which I hope is not the case with, with, you know, the actual educated masses out there who listen to this podcast. Uh, So anyway, uh, please go to thedispatch.com, sign up for the free stuff, sign up to be a paid member if you can. It means the world to us. Um... We have more new exciting things coming down the pack, coming down the path um, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, check out the Dispatch flagship podcast with yours truly and David French and uh, Sarah Isger and um, and that Steve Hayes guy who um, has uh, let his children cut his hair, which is very distracting when you actually watch it. He looks like um sort of a comic con reenactor of one of General Zod's henchmen from Superman 2. Uh it's a really strange look. He was like he's all in black and at least last week on the Dispatch podcast and he just has that look like um you know he's gonna pick up a paper mache manhole cover and throw it while fighting a portly Superman at this at comic-con or something anyway uh that's a tangent we can explore more another day uh i will see you soon thanks for listening
1: I'm not good at the clapping portion, like, you know, they want you to clap a church or something. I'm always a little off, off the beat, (laughs) off the beat.